The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, so let's do the uh, Q&A for tonight uh, and see what comes up. And uh, we'll just uh, get started. So, dear Ajahn, Thank you very much for coming to teach at, at BSV during this retreat. Uh, for some of us, this is our last day. Okay, so this is, okay, right, uh, the retreat. If there is time after the last question has been answered this evening, could you please explain a little bit about the Portalia Sutta so we have a better understanding when we study the Sutta ourselves at home. Thank you, Ajahn. Okay, let's see what happens. These things are uncertain, but we will see how things go. Uh, dear Ajahn, the thought of a better next life motivates me in my practice. Is this wrong view? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, yeah, I, in fact, I would say it is part, partly it is right view because, uh, but it's not, maybe not the entirely pure right view. These things come in degrees. It's not kind of either you have right view or you have wrong view. Sometimes they're kind of somewhere in between. Yeah, you have a kind of a mixture mixed bag. Yeah. And it's natural that we should all want to have a better life next time around. Who doesn't want to have a better life? Everyone wants to have a better life. It's natural. So if that is part of the motivation, it's to be expected. Yeah. So don't worry so much about that. That's good. So let that be one of the motivating factors. In fact, you know, the, I think it's one of the very important points is to have this kind of broad outlook on reality uh, of you know things being more than this tiny slither this tiny slice of life uh, begins here and stops there it's kind of tiny little thing uh, if you have a broader outlook with things uh, it actually you have more you're more um, you're more in tune with how things actually are according to the buddha uh, so it's a good starting point uh, who doesn't want to have a better future life uh, so that's great uh, but, uh, you know, so you, you work with that, but you understand a lot of the practices that you do to have a future, better future life are the same as the Noble Eightfold Path anyway. So you're on the right path. You're heading for Nibbana. You're on the kind of express route uh, in the right direction. Yeah, so, it's, it's, so in that sense, it's no, n not as if you're wasting anything by doing that. Uh, but then you keep on investigating. Yeah? You keep on thinking about what you're doing. Yeah? And then you take it deeper uh, than you already otherwise would go. Uh, yeah, you go further. Uh, and maybe eventually you realize that even the idea of a future life is not kind of the best thing to do. You actually want to go beyond that. Uh, but the good thing, good news is, it's the same path. It's the same way. Uh, you need to purify yourself. You need to get rid of the defilements. Yeah, This is the way to actually achieve a better rebirth. And as you do that, your mind becomes clearer. You will see more clearly what is really worthwhile uh, in this world. Uh, and then... Uh, who knows where you will end up? Uh, yeah, so good. Uh, there's no, there, there's not nothing really wrong with that at all. I think. Yeah. Uh, the full right view, of course, is a uh, is a different story. Uh, but uh, I think very few people have that full right view. It really means that you have to be a stream enter to to have that fully, and that's they're pretty rare to come by in this world, unfortunately. Uh, but if maybe if you get reborn in the heavenly realm, maybe you could hang out with more stream enters in the heavenly realm. Uh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Where, where do stream mentors get reborn? Well, probably they get mostly reborn in the heavenly realm. And once they get reborn, they hang out there for a long time, 
because these realms last for a long time so probably it's, it's packed packed with stream enters up there yeah you can barely move this this, this another stream enter pops up and <laughs> i don't know it would be natural if there was a lot of stream lot of areas there yeah. i probably exaggerating just a smidgen there but uh, you know <laughs> so uh, and you know one of the beautiful things in the sutta is one of the really nice sutta is the sakapanya sutta uh, in the diganikai long discourse of the buddha number 21 i think it is uh, and this is the conversation between sakka the lord of the devas yeah sakapanya dev inda inda is like lord and devas so devindo and uh, it's a conversation between sakka and the buddha and during that discourse sakka is supposed to become a stream enter so you have this whole realm ruled over by a stream enter yeah isn't that kind of cool you know not that many rulers in the human realm are stream enters we get the kind of we get the kind of more. I'm not going to say the names, but uh, <laughs> we get some rulers in this realm who you wonder what they what they are. But um, yes, that's kind of that's really nice. So imagine that's probably quite a good rulership. Yeah, it's not. Sometimes people say, "Oh, I don't really want to be reborn in heaven because I can't practice." It doesn't say that anywhere in the suttas. This is kind of some kind of later idea. Buddha never says that. The best thing to do is just to allow your karma takes its course and see what happens. Maybe it's the best thing to do, usually, in my opinion, anyway. I'm trying to control these things one way or another. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, so just uh, enjoy, uh, do your best, uh, and see what happens. Dear Ajahn, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us in such a relatable way. In your experience or the experience of others you know, Ajahn Isarabha, maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, can deep meditation overcome the side effects of poor quality and quantity of sleep? Absolutely. This is one of the things. Yeah, one of the what the Buddha says. If you want to sleep well, you should have metta. So it's not just meditation that overcomes poor sleep. It's your entire practice of the Noble Eightfold Path. Treat people with kindness. Think of people with kindness, have compassion for people, understand that we're all in this mess together. Yeah, everyone is in this mess. Sometimes we think, oh, my life is terrible, I have so much suffering. Everyone has more suffering than they want in this world. Everybody here. Yeah, so uh, it's just a matter of building up those basic qualities. Meditation is part of it, but only one part. Get all the factors together. The more kindness you have in your life, the better you sleep. Someone like Ajahn Brahm is an extraordinary sleeper. Yeah, you can sometimes he he gives a Dhamma talk, uh, you hear him in his room, he kind of you know, does a few things, lies down on his bed, and within two minutes he's kind of snoring away. Yeah. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. I don't know how he does it. He's so fast. I mean I'm a good sleeper as well, but not as good as Ajahn Brahm. He's like uh, extraordinary, yeah. And that comes from having no anxieties, no fears about anything, having a lot of metta and compassion. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Uh, fall asleep straight away. So um, try to be like Ajahn Brahma, not in terms of size, but in terms of heart, yeah, in terms of heart heart size, uh, then you are all right. Uh, it's interesting, why? One of the questions that is interesting for me is also, why is it that Ajahn Brahm is, you know, a little bit overweight? What, what is it, where does it come from? And basically, in a large part, it comes from not really caring about your body. Uh, for him, the body is kind of irrelevant. It's all happening in the mind, that's what matters. Uh, so he just eats whatever he feels like eating, and that's not maybe the healthiest food in the world, but that's kind of how he grew up, so he, that's what he's used to. And he doesn't really worry about the body. 
And if if we say to Ajahn Brahm, yeah, you might die eating like this, say, oh yeah, I might maybe I will die here. Yeah. yeah, big deal. Yeah, it's not death is not the problem. Huh? Yeah, it's how you live that is the problem. Huh? And that's a kind of beautiful thing for a lot of people when they put on too much weight. Sometimes it can be bad reasons why people put on weight. They don't look after themselves. The kind of lack of self-love. Fashion Brahma is the exact opposite. Yeah, it's not the body doesn't matter in this world. The body is irrelevant. What matters is the mind. So um, that is actually some of his attitude shows through that as well. I think. So be kind in this world. You know, I you're speaking at, with people at the interview time and everyone has problems with people in their lives. Uh, people is both the biggest joy in the world and also, maybe not the biggest joy, one of the joys in the world if you have good people is also the, sometimes the biggest difficulty. Uh, and that's true for almost everybody. Uh, unless you are an arahant perhaps or a stream enter or whatever. Uh, so learn to look at people in the right way. Uh, yeah, People are basically blind. Uh, they don't know what they do, what they're doing. It doesn't matter if they are your family member or your friend or whoever. Uh, people are all like that. Uh, we're fumbling around, trying to find our way in the darkness. Uh, this is the reality of things, and very often we make mistakes. Uh, when people do bad things towards you, uh, remember that's what they're doing. They're making a mistake. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, they're creating suffering for themselves, much more suffering for themselves uh, than they're creating for you. Uh, you are just a little bit of suffering you have to, to have for having to be around someone who is difficult. They have to be with themselves all the time. Yeah, that's real dukkha. And then if they do many bad things, they even get reborn in a bad place in the future. So have compassion for people. It takes away the selfishness, the self-concern, the thinking about me, 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 me. Yeah, it's natural that we are self-concerned. Of course we are, because we are closest to ourselves. We feel ourselves, you know, fullness. Of course, that is going to be our biggest concern. But try to reduce it, uh, because it's just painful to be so, to be too self-concerned. Uh, and then um, have compassion for the people around you. There are so many things that one could be angry about in the world. Uh, it's not going to help. Yeah, it's not going to be useful. Uh, much better to have a have a cool mind than to see what we can do in a positive way here, rather than add to the anger. It's too much anger already. We don't need any more of that. Huh? We need cool people, wise people instead. Huh? And uh, the most difficult things is to do with with your family. Sometimes it's easier to have compassion for people who are a bit more distant because we don't know them. Huh? But uh, the family are just like ordinary people. Huh? They don't know what they're doing. Huh? Yeah, huh? they try their best with their limited means. Huh? They, um, uh, and uh, once you get that, once you realize that, uh, you can have compassion for all your family members, whoever they might be, uh, like anyone else. Uh. It's not always going to work. Sometimes you will fail. It's okay. You're trying your best uh, as well. You're also conditioned. Uh, yeah. You also have your limitations. Uh, be kind to yourself as well. Uh. Be kind to yourself more than anyone else, uh, because you have to come first uh, in this world. Uh, and then you can be kind to others. Uh. So then, eventually, you will sleep well. Yeah, do all of that, and then you will sleep well. <laughs> do a little bit of it, you will sleep a little bit better. Yeah, yeah? and this is just the way it goes. Uh, um, reduce your time on the internet. Yeah, that's really hard, I know. Throw out your mobile phone. Uh, don't even have one. Uh, that's often the best thing to do. Uh, some people live without mobile phones, uh, yeah, even in the present day. And uh, sometimes that's really nice. Or have one of those really simple, old-fashioned mobile phones uh, where all you can do is ring a number and talk to someone, yeah? That's kind of the really... And that's actually quite nice to talk to people. Uh. <laughs>
you know, it's a different different experience. Uh, it's a bit more richer to talk to people. This is one of the reasons I quite like to travel. We have been doing uh, a lot of teachings via Zoom recently, and it's not quite the same, yeah, than when actually doing something live. When you're with, with the people, there's much more a real kind of sharing of Dhamma in a deeper way. You can kind of judge people in a different way. Not in a, I don't mean being judgmental, I just mean you have more of a feeling for people. Yeah, and that actually is often very useful. So I think it's quite, it's really nice to be in Melbourne physically rather than just uh, via some kind of uh, uh, internet cable. Okay, so good luck. And uh, sometimes it, these are this is the Buddhist way. Yeah, have metta. Sometimes you may also need to use uh, some other people. Uh, yeah, sometimes there are professional people who can help you with these things, uh, and it's actually useful to do that because Buddhism is not a complete psychology of the mind. Buddhism has a specific purpose, uh, which is awakening. Yeah. There are many things that Buddhism is not ideally suited for. Yeah, if someone is depressed, uh, should you just say, "Oh, yeah, watch your breath"? I mean, that's not always going to work. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's the kind of advice you get. So uh, sometimes you need other professional help as well. That can also be useful. So don't be shy about asking for help in the right place. Do you want to say anything about Manasaranoha? Are you? That's late? Yeah. Oh, that's late. Yeah. Wasn't there a sutta with the Buddha? Where he was sleeping outside, and it was cold, the hard ground, and they they asked uh, somebody came across him in the morning and said, "Did you sleep well?" And he said, "Yes, yes, I slept very well." And and the person said, "Well, how is that possible?" Because he said, "I'm I'm without desire, without aversion, and without delusion. One without these qualities, without these defilements, sleeps well. So that's the ideal. That's the highest." So uh, that helps as well, but that that meta too is 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 really the answer, isn't it? Mm. The meta, yeah. So just uh, yeah. So. So it's worthwhile being an arahant. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the benefits <laughs> until the body passes away. <laughs> there we are. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Marvelous. Okay. Thank you for that, and uh, let's go on to the next one. Dear Ajahn, the story you were. About to begin, really, really what? Something me, really troubled, troubled me. Is that what you're saying? Touched me, touched me, I think is what it says. That's the exact opposite of troubled, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get this right, otherwise. If <clears throat> uh, it's fascinating to imagine that you, we are talking to the Buddha, and he just gently said, come and sit, please. Hmm, exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is also basically you're asking about the rest of the story, presumably. What happens afterwards? Is that what you that gets us what you mean? Um and uh, it's actually a very nice sutta. I, I love that sutta because it is so clear about the faults of the world, the flaws of the world. Uh, and I have taught this sutta many times before, and there must be recordings here at the BSV and recordings all over the place. Uh, 
because I taught this sutta probably around the, everywhere around the world, yeah, in a no, large number of countries. So uh, it's easy to, should be find this on the BSWA website, yeah, somewhere, yeah. Majjhimalikaya 54. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's let's see what happens. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll see if I can talk a little bit about it afterwards before you go because uh, it seems like a couple of people are interested in this. And of course, that's the problem with kind of um, you know telling a preview of what comes next is that people <laughs> want to hear it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, next question, dear Ajahn, my grandmother tells me she can see ghosts and it terrifies her. She knows I practice Buddhism and has sought my advice. I'm not sure if it is the side effects of her meditation or if it's real. I don't want to dismiss her concern, so I suggested keeping the five precepts and practicing metta. What advice do you have? She's 80 plus years old. Gee, okay, well, uh, um, she can see. Well, it's very hard to know whether it is real or whether it is a mental creation. A lot of these things are creations of the mind because the mind is so powerful. Sometimes it can be real. Um, uh, could it be a side effect of her meditation? Maybe. I med sorry, medication. So not meditation, medication, right? <laughs> That's a bit different, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, I think you know one of the things to explain to her if she if she sees these kind of beings is that uh, they are not really dangerous. Yeah, it's not really. I, I never heard of anyone who has been killed by a ghost or had problem because of ghosts. In fact, it is a blessing if you are a Buddhist, especially. It's a blessing to see ghosts because you get access to a different reality. You come, you get a broader understanding of what is going on. For her, that would not be the case. But tell her that if you know these ghosts are there because they are seeking something from you. They're seeking your kindness, your care. You are. An you're an older woman now. You have been looking after so many people for such a long time. Thank you for being my wonderful grandmother. You know, I love you so much for all of those good qualities. Send some of those good qualities to the ghost. It's a chance to tell her that you really appreciate her and also to tell her to pass those good qualities on to the ghost. Those ghosts are suffering just like us if they do exist. All they're looking for is some kindness. Yeah, that's why they hang around. This is kind of why ghosts are stuck in the ghost realm, because they are attached to something, they can't move on. And then by, this is why we make merit for the ghosts. We do something kindness to them so they can kind of be released from that state by enjoying the happiness of someone doing something good for them. So do something like, like that to your uh, grandmother, yeah? And then she might start to appreciate what is happening here. She might start to really get into this, yeah? All beings suffer her. Uh, ghosts suffer too. Uh, and let's send them some merit. Tell them it's not, they're not dangerous. They're not going to do anything to her. Uh, uh, turn it around again. Just like before, instead of having self-concern about the ghosts. Uh, instead, turn it around and do it. make it into an act of compassion and kindness uh, to look after the ghosts. Uh, may you, ghosts, may you be happy and well. Uh, that is the right way to thinking about this. Uh. And uh, yes... Practice metta and five precepts is good. Yeah, you can tell her that if that if she's into that. So you can certainly do that, and uh, that will no doubt work as well. And practice that metta specifically to the ghost if she has concern. And eventually, those ghosts will just uh, uh, disappear or something. You know, they, they won't trouble her anymore if she does that. Uh, 
Something like that. Uh. Okay. Hello, Ajahn. Please explain how Dhamma practice would help to someone uh, feeling lonely. Uh, many thanks. Uh, how can you overcome loneliness through Dhamma practice? Uh, and uh, the answer is that the more kindness you have, uh, the less lonely you feel. Uh, if you have a lot of metta in your heart, uh, if you wish the whole world well, uh, there is no room for that loneliness to happen. Uh, we are around people very often to fill a hole, a gap inside. Yeah, So we fill that gap with people. And of course, if you fill that gap or hole with people, as soon as the people are gone, you're going to feel lonely. Yeah? Because uh, that gap was filled by people. Yeah? So what we are seeking in company yeah, is what actually we get through metta meditation. Yeah? That hole gets filled with something else and there's no need anymore. You become less needy as a person. You become more independent. Yeah? So be kind to people, and when you are kind to people, and when you have metta for them, uh, not only is it easier to be around people, it's also easier to be alone. This is the weird thing, yeah? It's kind of these things go together. You may not enjoy people so much, but you are still more kind around them. Uh, so it, there's no kind of contradiction between those two. Uh, kindness to others uh, and showing concern and care for others actually is the same as also enjoying solitude. Uh, these things go together, yeah? It's kind of fascinating here. So loneliness is um, is that lack of uh, kind of being fulfilled inside by yourself. Uh, if you get deep meditation, you don't want to be around other people. Yeah, you cannot be lonely. In fact, you prefer to be by yourself. You want to tell people to uh, no, you don't want to say that. You want to <laughs> <laughs> go away. Yeah, don't 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 be here. Don't want to <laughs> don't want to see you. Yeah. It's interesting, in some of the suttas, the Buddha says that if you come out of really deep meditation, you talk to other people, you, it would talk concerned with dismissing them as soon as possible. Yeah? So this is what deep meditation does to you. You, wanna, you just want to be by, you, by yourself because you are so much more fulfilled by yourself uh, than you are around others. Uh. So this is the ideal yeah, with being lonely. Uh. And it's kind of strange. I, I, you know, I, we, I, in a monastery, I live in a little kuti, little hut by myself. I can't even see any other huts from where I live. Just by myself. I never feel lonely. It's not because I have super-duper metta. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend that. But there's something about the monastic life which is uh, kind of, you know, it's kind of pushes you in that direction. It feels natural to be by yourself. Sometimes if you live in the middle of the city uh, and you can't talk to anyone, you hear all the noises, people laughing and having fun, that's when you feel really lonely, yeah? because you think everyone else is having a good time except for me. And, uh, but in the monastery you never think like that, because like it's a different environment. So you actually, I think you feel less lonely as a monk. Is that, is that right, Ren Masaro? Yeah? Yes, right, true, isn't it? Yeah, it, it just isn't that vibe of feeling lonely in the, when you are a monastic in the same way. It's interesting. Yeah. So uh, just uh, remember that those people who are laughing and having a good time, they're probably just drunk or something silly. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that true? Often the laughter is not really necessarily because they're having such a marvelous, wonderful time. They're just kind of messing around and whatever. Big deal. I mean, I remember myself when I was a student, I did all kind of crazy, stupid things. Was I really happy? Not really all that happy. But probably people saw me from the outside and said, wow, he's happy. Yeah, jeepers. So many parties, so much stuff. 
not really. That's the that's the truth of it. Uh, so try to change your perspective on uh, you know on uh, whether other people really are happy, uh, whether you are lucky just to be in your little flat or your house or whatever it is by yourself. Uh, wow, don't have to be with these other people. Uh, sometimes we hang out with other people and it's terrible. We don't enjoy it, and then when we're by ourselves, we're lonely. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Uh, cannot find that uh, satisfaction anywhere, basically. Uh, so uh, come to the Buddhist society here, BSV. Hang, hang out with your your mates in the Buddhist society uh, in the, uh, Victoria, uh, and uh, get some uh, good company that way. Come to the monastery occasionally. Speak to the monks. Uh, don't be afraid of talking to the monks. Uh, the monks are not dangerous. Uh, sometimes people come to the monastery. They come to Newbury, and they sit and they sit down and they just stare at you. Uh, it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yes, almost as if they are afraid of you or something. I'm not sure what it is, but we are not dangerous, I promise. We don't bite or anything like that. Uh, so have a chat. It's okay to have a chat. You can say things, yeah, and you can talk about things. And then it, gradually the, the topic turns into Dhamma. That, that's kind of natural when you hang around uh, monastics usually. It turns into Dhamma. You talk about things that are useful. Uh, so do things like that that are positive. Uh, go on the internet. Lots of marvelous talks now available on the internet. Listen to that. Uh, Listen to someone you feel happy around, who gives you a lift, gives you something positive. Someone who has that vibe about them, peaceful vibe. I often love just to listen to Ajahn Brahm and sit down when he gives a talk, when he's really in a good, in a kind of right mood. It feels so peaceful. It feels so beautiful just to listen to the talk. It's not what he says, because I've heard what he says a million times. Actually, sometimes now he still says new things. Sometimes, but he—I know what it is. But it's actually just the tone, the way he speaks. Yeah, it makes you feel peaceful. Huh? And sometimes the things that he has said a million times before they hit you in a new way, precisely because he says it in such a way that he does. Huh? So that is the—that is why this is one of the reasons why you want companionship with wise people because they put you in the right mental frame, huh? and then afterwards you meditate and you feel. It's just nice, it's natural. You feel peaceful already here. Yeah. Okay, so uh, good luck. Sometimes it takes a long time. Don't be, don't seek for an end to loneliness straight away. You have to develop, you have to be wise about this. Uh, but uh, gradually, gradually, you overcome these problems in life. Thank you, Ajahn, for the beautiful teachings. Sadhu. Great. Could you please... Mention the name of the sutta, which gives more explanations on right speech. Okay, I just mentioned it during the teaching, but I could not hear the name. Did I? Right speech? Er, not sure if I did. Did I say anything about right? Yeah, you, yeah. Read, you read out the positive side. Remember that sutta from the, from the lecture? Yeah. Oh, that one. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, that, that part of it. Sure. Yeah, that is found many, many places. This is the standard description of right speech found in the suttas, yeah, everywhere. And uh, you will find that in places. If you just look at the description of the Noble Eightfold Path, sometimes they will give you that definition. Uh, so, like, so the Noble Eightfold Path is described in a number of places. If you go to the Magga Sangyutta, yeah, the Sangyutta Nikaya, I think the eighth sutta there is called the Vibhanga Explanation Analysis. And, and 
analyzes all the factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, you will find it there. But if you have the middle length sayings of the Buddha, it is found in what is called the gradual training. Uh, one of my favorite suttas where it takes the whole path of Buddhism from the beginning all the way to the end. Uh, and you kind of recognize where you are on that path. And there it has all the factors of morality in great detail. Yeah, The speech which goes to the heart, that's maybe what you mean. Yeah, and All of that, uh, it's all in there. So take good one to take is Majjhimanikaya 27. Uh, uh, which is the Chula Hatti Padopama Sutta, which is the famous sutta of Mahinda when he went to Sri Lanka and taught the whole royal household, yeah, and they all became converted to Buddhists. That, that sutta, very famous in Sri Lanka. So if you have a Sri Lankan background, uh, which um, because you can spell sadhu, maybe that uh, you are Sri Lankan background, <laughs> just guessing. So uh, try try that sutta. It has a, it's very, has a very important uh, position in the history of Sri Lanka, right? That particular sutta, Chula Hatti Padopama Sutta, the shorter discourse on the elephant's footprint. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful sutta, by the way, really, really nice. Uh, the footprints of the Tathagata, the Buddha, which are the four jhanas and the four stages of awakening. Yeah. So that sutta is that is a right speech. There's other suttas about right speech. There's the uh, Ambalatika Rahulovada Sutta, the, the, the uh, instruction to Rahula at Ambalatika, which is a Majjhimalikaya 61, I think. 61. It's a beautiful sutta about not lying and how your life is empty, especially as a monastic, if you lie. Yeah, your life is empty, like a pot overturned, says the Buddha. He, he literally teaches Rahula is just a child at this point. He's just a novice. So he uses very simple similes, yeah? But sometimes that's really nice to have a simple instructions on these things. Uh, and there are assorted suttas on right speech found in many places, uh, like the one which says you shouldn't talk too much because then you end up saying silly things. Uh, yeah, that's another one of those. Uh, so, um, yeah, have you taken notes? I hope so. I don't, don't, don't have to raise your hand or anything. I just uh, <laughs> <laughs> so those are the suttas. Uh. Okay. Dear Arjan, I was it was really an inspiration to um, to new to new now you explain Dhamma and really been a privilege to experience this retreat. Uh, okay, marvelous, uh, wonderful. So you don't, if you don't mind, may I kindly request to share your story of becoming a monk and how you started meditation? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I actually written a little book about that. Yeah, why I am a Buddhist monk. Yeah. Have you seen that book? Yeah. Have you got it here at BSV? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a nice. I don't know. I I I really enjoyed editing that. It was a talk I gave once because so many people asked. Okay, I'm going to give a talk and get it over with. But obviously, it didn't work because now you're asking again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's a really, it's interesting. Yeah? These things are actually very interesting. Why is it uh, that you are a Buddhist monk? How does it actually happen? Uh, it's actually very interesting. And I, I used to think, like, I'm going to tell you in short, in brief, but I used to think I'm, it's because I'm really smart. <laughs> yeah, Buddhism is the answer to the meaning of life. I have got that. I'm really wise. So I become a Buddhist monk as a consequence. That's what I used to kind of think. Yeah, Everyone thinks they are special, and I guess I... I'm no exception to that, uh, although I, the longer I live, the less exceptional I feel. Uh, but um, <laughs> so uh, you, uh, uh, but then I started to think: No, I'm just projecting something. Uh, 
now, the longer I've been a monk, the more I feel that, that this is really the, about the meaning of life itself. What else should I be doing than being a Buddhist monk? It's crazy to be anything else. What can I possibly do in a worldly life? Having a girlfriend, having a family, having a job? What is that going to give me? It's nice. I'm not saying it is bad or wrong or anything, but is it really going to move me towards the goal and the purpose of life in any kind of really fast and positive way? And the answer is, no, I don't think so. What I'm doing now, this is really purposeful. It really has purpose. It has to do with the very what life is really about, uh, fulfilling you know, all of these things that we actually all really want at the end of the day, fulfillment, completion, a sense of purpose, yeah, going somewhere real, rather than just kind of messing around in the world, going around and around. I'm not saying lay life is impossible to live well. Of course you can live lay life well. But once you are a monastic, to go back doesn't seem very, very smart, in my opinion. But that's now, after being a monk for 20, 25 years or whatever. Yeah, But it wasn't like that in the beginning here. So I started to think, well, how did I really become a monk? And as I mentioned, I think, the other day, when I think back to my early life, uh, there are some very interesting things that uh, occurred. Uh, yeah, Like the time when I was 12 years old uh, and I wanted to live by myself in the hut in the forest. This fantasy came out of nowhere. And I'm wondering, what is going on here? Uh, and uh, as I accumulated a little bit of evidence like that, yeah, when I was young, when I was at... at uh, University, I really wanted to go to Asia, for example. And when I, I ended up going to Japan, and I went to Japan, I thought, this is quite interesting. Yeah, I read my first book on Buddhism while I was there. And I went to all the Buddhist places. I saw the big Buddha statues. I thought, wow, it's pretty impressive, pretty intimidating, some of those Buddha statues. And uh, so there was many things that kind of started to click, in a sense. And uh, after a while, I, it sort of became fairly clear to me reasonably clear that uh, I must have been a Buddhist monastic in a past life. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. This is probably the reason why I am a monk now. And, uh, you know, I, I, before I even became a Buddhist, I read books about meditation practice. There was a natural inclination there. I started meditating just out of, you know, because it seems, seemed right. Uh, all of these things kind of fell into place. Uh, and then somehow, after a while, I came across Buddhism, and I knew that was the right way here. Uh, so that's what I said before. I think I became a Buddhist monk out of habit. Yeah, habit from the past. Uh, I've been a Buddhist monk in the past, so I became a Buddhist monk in this life. Uh, and that kind of, of course, that sounds like, uh, it sounds, oh, okay, really, uh, that, that doesn't sound all that impressive, impressive right? Uh, you Buddhist monk out of habit? <laughs> what kind of Buddhist monk is that? Uh, that's the kind of dodgy, dodgy Buddhist monk, yeah? But not really, because it doesn't matter if something is right, if something is good, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. The question that we need to ask is not you know, whether things is a habit or not. The question we need to ask is whether it's a good habit or not. And if it is a good habit, then great. I, made, I created that ha good habit in the past life. Yay, me, I, I, I made a good habit in the past life. Yes, yeah, so still, you are kind of on the right track. You made the right decision somewhere. So it's still a good thing, yeah. But uh, it is very fascinating still that it is probably just a habit. Uh, it takes some of the self out of it. Uh, yeah, some of the thing, this experience of yourself as being somehow really wise and smart and finding the Buddhist path, uh, when probably it's just a conditioning process that brought you to this in the first place. Of course it is, yeah? Once you know Buddhism, it has to be that. Uh, it takes the self out of it. Uh, and what a relief that is. Uh, 
yeah, you're just an ordinary person in this world, uh, moving in the right direction because of cause and conditions. Uh, and actually, it's much better to be ordinary than to be special. Uh, if you think you're special, you're just causing suffering for yourself. More ego, more self, more problems. Uh. But the other thing I like about this idea of uh, having been a monk or a monastic in the past, uh, first of all, I don't know what gender I was. Uh. Maybe I was a nun, a Buddhist nun in the past life. Uh. That's kind of interesting, yeah? So if I was a Buddhist nun in the past life, then is it not appropriate for me to help Buddhist nuns in this life? To make sure that women also have an opportunity to practice the monastic life? These things, if they are part of us, if they are part of who we are, and if I don't kind of make an end of this in this life, maybe I will be a nun again in the future, I better help the nuns so I have somewhere to go in my next life, yeah, or down the track. It's the only, it's the obvious thing to do, isn't it? And so, in a sense, if we don't help other people, when we understand that we also have all of those potentials inside of us waiting to come out, and not just, in a sense, being a nun, but if I was a, a monk in the past or a nun in the past, it would have been in Asia, right? I would have been an Asian monastic, I don't know where, Sri Lanka, or wherever. So again, it kind of makes you think of yourself in a different way here. That's also inside of you. That's also part of you. Uh, yeah, all of these things are there. And then, of course, it takes away a lot of this barrier that we have between each other. Uh, you are from this country. I'm from that country. You're from one culture. I'm from a different culture. Actually, no. Uh, we're all just human beings. Uh, we all have the same basic desire, the same outlook, the same things that we want to fulfill in life. Uh, it takes away so much of those things that otherwise uh, create barriers between, of, between us. Uh, so it's kind of beautiful, yeah, and this is where I think the uh, Buddhist teachings become so powerful, uh, precisely because you start to see human beings, uh, you start to see everyone as basically an alternative version of yourself, uh, if you like. Uh, I could be there, I could be this person, uh, and it creates a sense of uh, harmony between people. There's so much division in the world, uh, and we don't need more division, we need more harmony here. Uh. So it's looking at others and seeing yourself in others can be very, very useful, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they come from. And then, that is the other thing that came out of this for me, yeah? seeing myself in a kind of completely different role in a completely different country yeah? kind of opens your eyes in a new way. Yeah? So this is really what brought me to Buddhism, yeah, if I look at the big picture. Of course, yeah, I could say that, well, what brought me to Buddhism was that I, you know, I started meditating at university because I had I got a book about meditation. One of my best friends at university, he, he, he had a book one day. It was called the, what was it called again? The, the um, something about the breath. Yeah, there was a book about breath meditation. I said, oh, you must read this. And, okay, thank you. And so I read it and that's why I started meditating here. So I started meditating and then later on I had this idea. I wanted to go to Asia. I saw a lot of uh, monastics in Asia, uh, Japan. Uh, and then I... Uh, when I came back later on to England, I thought maybe I should go and check out the monastery. Uh, so I looked, I checked, went through the the directory, uh, yeah, the telephone directory under B Buddhist. Uh, <laughs> and I came to Buddhist Society of London. Oh yeah, that's cool. So I called up the Buddhists of London. Are there any monasteries around? Uh, they said, oh yeah, there is Amravati and Chitterst. Uh, so I went to those monasteries. That's how I started out. Uh, <laughs> quite amazing, isn't it? Uh, and I found the monasteries, uh, and that's how. And then I went to those monasteries. Uh, and I thought, yeah, I'm not sure about this. And then I, I got a talk by Ajahn Brahma. That's my teacher. And I came to Australia. That's why I'm here. 
That's kind of the short, the kind of the dodgy story. Yeah, the real story yeah, is actually the other one. That's the real story of how I became a Buddhist monk. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I say, and then you can uh, decide for yourself whether there is uh, that makes any sense or not. Uh. So um, we have a little bit of time left over. So what about this uh, Portalia Sutta that people are asking about? Uh, yeah, this this story of the man with the parasol. What did I? Actually, I brought my laptop with me so I could have a. Um, is have, do have you got the magic money car here? Huh? Yeah. So central. Okay. Or I, I, do we have the book in the in the back as well? I, I don't. It might be easier if I have a book rather than have a small. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and I, we can have a look at the introduction there, uh, at least. Uh, the things that I skipped in this. All the dots, we can read out all the dots. Especially about the character of the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh. <laughs> yeah. There are breathing techniques that are useful. There is, if you look at YouTube, uh, Asleep in 60 Seconds by Dr. Andrew Vine. And that's a technique that is quite useful for promoting sleep. I use that and Metta before I go to sleep. And it's quite useful. Asleep in 60 seconds. I don't think it's true. Thank <laughs> 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 you for watching the, the clock. You won't be asleep for the night. Useful yeah. breathing can help because it can slow down the thinking and it brings sort of a sort of peace to the mind too. It's a it's a particular technique, yoga technique really. So mm. Quite useful. It's good for anxiety too and uh, things like that as well. So quite a useful technique. Majmanika, mm. yes. Thank you so much, marvelous. Sir. Okay. So, Majjhima um, Nikaya 54, Portalia Sutta. Attakanagara Sutta, Portalia Sutta. Okay, so here we are. So this man with the parasol, he wanders around, yeah, with parasol in hand, uh, kind of a little bit um, conceited and arrogant perhaps. And then he comes to the Buddha. And uh, the Buddha says, please sit down if you like yeah and then let's let's just read what happens next because it's kind of interesting and then i won't spoil the entire sutta for tomorrow but we can at least have a little bit of idea what's happening yeah so um now the important point here is that the buddha says to him uh, there are these seats householder sit down if you like yeah yeah when this was said the householder potalia thought the recluse Gautama addresses me as householder and angry and displeased. He remained silent. A second time the Buddha said to him, There are seeds, householder. Sit down if you like. And a second time he thought the same thing. 
And the third time he said the same thing to Buddha. And then the householder Potalia thought, Directors Gautama addresses me as householder. And angry and displeased, he said to the Buddha, Master Gautama, it is neither fitting nor proper that you address me as householder here. He's not happy, yeah, even though he's wearing, carrying around a parasol and all this kind of stuff. And then the Buddha replies, well, householder. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you have the aspects, marks, and signs of a householder. Yeah, you look like a householder. So uh, what, do you, what do you expect me to say here? And the Potala replies, Nevertheless, Master Gautama, I have given up all my works and cut off all my affairs. In what way have you given up all your works, householder, and cut off all your affairs? Master Gautama, I have given all my wealth, grain, silver, and gold to my children as their inheritance. Without advising or admonish admonishing them, I live merely on food and clothing. That is how I have given up all my works and cut off all my affairs. Householder, the cutting off of affairs as you describe it is one thing, but in the noble one's training, the cutting off of affairs is different. This is how the Buddha often brings people around. Yeah, he kind of listens to what they have to say and say, yeah, okay, fair enough, but uh, there is another way of looking at this. Uh, the noble one's discipline, the Arya, Arya Vinaya, is the uh, Vinaya of the uh, Buddha, basically. Yeah? Vinaya means, uh, here translate discipline, but really means training as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and then he said, Potalia says, what is the cutting off of affairs like? Uh, in the noble one's training, venerable sir. Now he calls him venerable sir, yeah? Before he calls him Master Gotama. Huh? You see the difference there? It's like kind of you become a bit more disrespectful. Master Gotama is what outsiders call the Buddha. It's like uh, Bo Gotama. The Brahmins call him that. Uh, but a disciple called him venerable sir. They call him Bhante. Yeah? Bhante is the way they usually call, speak to the Buddha. Now he's kind of, listen, the Buddha knows, now I've got him, yeah? He's saying the right thing, yeah. <laughs> he's ready for the picking. So, now, uh, it would be good, Venerable Sir, if the Blessed One would teach me the Dhamma, showing what the cutting off of affairs is like in the Noble One's training. Yeah? Then listen, Householder, and attend closely to what I shall say. Yes, Venerable Sir, Potalia the Householder replied, and the Blessed One said this. Householder, there are these eight things in the Noble One's discipline that lead to the cutting off of affairs. What eight? With the support of non-killing of living beings, the killing of living beings is abandoned. With the support of taking, of, of, uh, taking only what is given, stealing is abandoned. With the support of truth, false speech is abandoned. With the support of uh, uh, harmonious speech, malicious divisive speech is abandoned. With the support of refraining from greed, uh, rapacious greed, it has it like really strong greed, uh, rapacious greed is to be abandoned. With the support of refraining from spiteful scolding, spiteful scolding is to be abandoned. With the support of refraining from angry despair, angry despair is to be abandoned. 
with the support of non-arrogance. Arrogance is to be abandoned. That might be a kind of a uh, hint that he's walking around a little bit with pride, pride and arrogance perhaps. So these are the eight things stated in brief. Uh, brief, uh, without being expounded in detail, that lead to the cutting off of affairs in the noble one's discipline. Uh, <laughs> kind of leading him on here. Venerable sir, it would be good if out of compassion the blessed one would expound to me in detail these eight things that lead to the cutting off of affairs uh, in the noble one's discipline, uh, which have been stated in brief by the blessed one without being expounded in detail. Uh, I like this. It would be good if out of compassion you would teach. Yeah, This is a beautiful way of saying that, uh, you know, it's like realizing that who is the real beneficiary here. Yeah? yeah, please teach me out of compassion. Uh, and then, uh, of course, if you ask like that, then it's very likely that the teacher will be compassionate. Uh, so when you ask a question out of someone, uh, you know, whether it's Ajahn Brahm or whoever it is, uh, say, oh, can you, would you please give us a teaching out of compassion? Uh, try that next time he comes and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> don't say it. Don't say that I said that because then <laughs> you probably walk away anyway. <laughs> So, see, and see, see uh, that's an interesting one here. Uh. I don't know, I usually, I often ask, I, sometimes I ask Ajahn Brahm questions, uh, and I've learned after a long time how to do it, uh, so that he actually usually responds, uh, yeah, and that's kind of, you, it's a certain, you have to show that you are really interested in the question, in the answer, uh, and not that you want to argue. I may actually want to argue, but I, yeah. no, no. <laughs> no, I don't really want to argue so much anymore, so you just, you know, you really have an interest, yeah? And then uh, people usually respond in a positive way. So this is a nice way of saying it. Out of compassion, please, uh, please give a teaching. Yeah. Then listen, householder, and attend closely to what I shall say. Yes, venerable sir, Potalia the householder replied, and the blessed one said this. Uh, so then he says, uh, um, with the support of non-killing of living beings, the killing of living beings is to be abandoned. Uh, so it was said. And why was this said? Here a noble disciple considers thus. I am practicing the way to the abandoning and cutting off of those fetters uh, because of which I might kill living beings. If I were to kill living beings, I would blame myself for doing so. Uh, the wise having investigated would censure me for doing so, and on the dissolution of the body after death because of living beings, an unhappy destination would be expected. But this killing of living beings is itself a fetter and a hindrance. And while taints, vexations, and fever might arise, yeah, just like the Sabhasava Sutta, through the killing of living beings, there is no taints, vexation, and fevers in one who abstains from killing living beings. So it was with reference to this that it was said, uh, with the support of non-killing of living beings, uh, the killing of living beings uh, is to be abandoned. It's quite nice, isn't it? Uh, lot of good reasons for how to, why to abandon the killing of living beings the first one is that the arahants yeah he says the practice i am practicing the way to the abandoning and cutting off of those fetters because of which i might kill living beings in other words i'm practicing for arahantships and when you once you become an arahant you can't kill anymore arahants don't kill anything they have cut off the possibility of killing 
So because I'm practicing for that, I should take that on now so that I'm heading in the right direction here. Yeah, that's kind of the idea here. You take the arahants as your example here. And uh, the Buddha uses this idea in a number of places in the suttas. Uh, for example, on the Uposatha day, uh, yeah, you reflect how do the arahants practice the Uposatha. The arahants, they practice these eight precepts for life. Uh, and because the arahants practice the eight precepts for life, uh, I should do the same. Uh, yeah, it's a nice way of thinking. You try to kind of approximate to being an arahant, uh, <laughs> at least uh, in, in the kind of lesser things, uh, yeah? Um, and of course, I would blame myself, yeah, if I kill living beings. The wise people would censure me. Do you want to be praised or do you want to be censured by the wise people? Huh? It's nice to be praised by the wise, isn't it? Uh, instead of the wise, you don't really care so much what the scallywags of the world say about you. It doesn't really matter, yeah? If the mafia bosses don't like you, okay, it's probably a good thing if they don't like you, yeah? If they stay out of, out of your way, it won't be a problem. Huh? But if the arahant says, well, you know, huh, you can do better, huh? You know, I know you can do better. You shouldn't really be doing that. Uh, it doesn't lead to happiness for anyone. Uh, if an arahant says that to you, you listen. Wow, it's really powerful. You don't want to be censured by the wise people in the world. Uh, so, uh, and when an arahant says, oh, you're doing well, yeah, you're practicing the right way, and you feel good about yourself as a consequence. Uh, and then, of course, after you die, yeah, has bad consequences. Uh, and it is a fetter and a hindrance, yeah? That's another thing. It's a fetter. It ties you to samsara. If you kill living beings, uh, you are ties you down. Uh, you take a step backwards on the path, uh, and you increase the strength on the fetter that ties you to existence. Uh, this is one of those things that is so such an important part of the Buddhist practice, uh, is to remember that every time you make a mistake, uh, every time you allow some stupid thought to linger in your mind. Every time you say something wrong, uh, you are blocking your progress on the path. Uh, yeah, And the path is urgent. You can't really afford to lose one, make one mistake. Well, you, will, you will make one mistake, but you cannot really afford it. If you keep that at the back of your mind at all times, uh, I need to make as many steps forward as possible and a few backwards as I possibly can, because time is always short. It doesn't matter how young you are. Even if you're just born, time is already short. Yeah, life is short. So get remember that. Keep that at the back of your mind. And if you keep that at the back of your mind clearly, then you are going to make far fewer mistakes. This is about having right view, understanding how important this is. When you really get it that it is important, that's when it becomes stronger. Because mindfulness will remember what's important in your life. You have to make it important. That is why. We read the sutta. That's why we listen to Dhamma talks, to remind ourselves of the importance of these things. Make it really important. Make it a priority in your life. And when it is a powerful priority in your life, you won't forget. Even in the busy busyness of everyday things, you will remember what really matters in, in this world. What actually is important. What is important is the practice of the spiritual path. Being kind. Yeah, being kind to all other beings and also yourself included. This is the hardest thing on the Buddhist path, that consistency and persistent persistence in your practice, moment after moment, day in, day out, year in, year out. That is the hardest part. And that is the thing that we have to kind of get to grips with so we can be consistent in this way. That's why the stream mentor is consistent, because they have right view, which always is there to inform their practice of what they're doing. And we have to try to 
emulate the stream entry, get as close as we possibly can to stream entry here. Okay, so uh, yeah, and uh, so that is what he says about this. It's a beautiful little passage about why we should not be killing living beings. Uh, then he goes on to say exactly the same thing about not stealing, uh, about speaking the truth, uh, about not having malicious speech, uh, divisive speech, uh, uh, refraining from rapacious greed. Yeah, that makes sense. Refraining from spiteful scolding. Okay, I guess this is just like angry words or something. Uh, refraining from angry despair. In other words, not getting angry at all or avoiding strong anger in one's life. Uh, and also um, avoiding arrogance. Uh, not, uh, you know, parading around with parasol in hand. Uh, yeah, And saying, oh, I've given up all affairs. Well, actually, maybe not. Uh, look at that parasol you're holding here. Uh, <coughs> <laughs> These eight things, uh, these are the eight things that lead to the cutting off of affairs and a noble one's discipline uh, have now been expounded in detail. Uh, but the cutting off of affairs in the noble one's training has not yet been achieved entirely and in all ways. Uh, Venerable Sir, how is the cutting off of affairs in the noble one's training achieved entirely and in all ways? Uh, it would be good, Venerable Sir, if the Blessed One would teach me the Dhamma, showing me how the cutting off of affairs in the Noble One's training is achieve, achieved entirely and in all ways. Then listen, Householder, and attend closely to what I shall say. Yes, Venerable Sir, Potalia the Householder replied, the Blessed One said this. And that's where we continue tomorrow. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> It's getting late, yeah, so I think it's appropriate anyway. So I, I just, it's actually almost perfect timing here. So, but if you, if you want to hear the rest of the sutta, I, again, I have expanded this many, many times before, and it's, I always expand, say pretty much the same thing, yeah, because it is kind of obvious what you have to say. So just look it up on the internet. Type in my name, Potalia Sutta, Majima 54, something like that, and it will come up, yeah, somewhere on the internet. Some, someone, somewhere. It will be uploaded. Okay, everyone, that is it for tonight. And those people who are leaving, if you do wish to take the five precepts, I will be very happy to do so with you, if you'd like. So please come up and the rest of you just carry on whatever you would like to do. So in any case, I wish you all a good night, have a good rest, and we'll see you all back again tomorrow morning. Maybe we can just do the Arahang Sammasambuddha all together before we do the five priests. Maybe that's a good idea.